Hi, I'm Nigel Campbell, editor of Jazz in the Islands magazine, with another episode of Island Jazz Chat, a podcast featuring conversations with Caribbean jazz and pan jazz musicians based in the islands and the diaspora. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Island Jazz Chat. Today I have the pleasure of speaking to steel pan virtuoso, steel drum musician, give me any other definition, Mr. Anis Hadid. How are you? I did good, thanks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've been trying to, as I said, we have this podcast that we have ongoing where we're talking to pan jazz musicians and Caribbean jazz musicians here in the islands as well as in the diaspora. And of course, and my first podcast was, was with a good friend, Rudy Smith. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, he said, you must talk to Annie to see if I could get to him. Well, you finally <laughs> been able to get it. So how are you? How are you today? How are you? Okay, good, 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 man. Good to Wonderful. So most of these things we kind of follow a kind of typical thing. You know, we we follow in the careers of all the musicians, the recordings and that kind of stuff. So take us back to the beginning. How did you begin your recording career your, your musical career, I should say? Well, man is um well I born in Port of Spain town. Wonderful. So for my mother born by Besson Street police station, what we call behind the bridge. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, you know? And so I grew up in Dongai Bon next to Globe Cinema hmm. on Park Street. Right? On Park Street. Mm. Corner, yeah. So around the corner was um, a band called Starland Steel Band on St. Vincent Street. Okay. Um, where deceased Beverly Griffith used to pass through and his brother used to arrange music for them. I didn't know my time. I was too small to know him at that time, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's my whole panting start here in Pan from, from, from the time I born. We got it around the corner. I could hear them practicing. Let me ask you a business. That was in the 1960s or the 1950s? That would have been, was I born in 58? So that would have been like 64, 65. I would have been here. And I was like, well, that little fella that age, I was like, okay. So from Starland, because um, I, I I know in your biography you, you include obviously invaders. Well, how? Right. Well, what happened is from about ten, mm-hmm. we moved to Woodbrook, mm. and I was between invaders and Starland. So wherever we move, I was always wrong by a paniad. Yeah, so pan in your blood. Yeah, so I could have sit down home up to now. I could go and sit down home and hear invaders practicing. Mm. So in gallery and right. So, so as I'm, I listen from small, I used to go around Starland mm-hmm. and they would have a pan hanging about in the yard. And I would, like little children, obviously, at that age, six years old, where you're born, pretend you to do what you see the adults doing, you know? Yes. Like, like, and even at that age, I had the fellas from around the area, they, they make all these sticks of all the pan, bass pan, and a pan, second pan, and I would go and put out chairs in the yard and pretend I'd beaten pan, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So when I moved to Woodbrook, wrong by invaders, then naturally I would go around the corner and hear them practice. I was still in primary school and um, I go into the rhythm section, I don't know, I might pick up a tambourine and start shaking. Mm. 
And next thing I knew, I was on stage of Panorama Shake and Tambourine Rhythm Section, and I was 1971. What? You know, <laughs> I learned to play um, I played tenor and what they call tenor bass or high bass or focus on the road that year. That was 71. Mm-hmm. And then the following year, from then on, I started playing pan for Panorama right through. All the way through. So um, I, I had spoken to Bugsy Sharp, uh, wrote an article about the 50th anniversary of, of yeah. Phase 2, and your name popped up. I know you're not in the first six, but you came in in the early years of, of, of Phase yeah. is that correct? Yes, well, and what happened was um, my last carnival with Invaders would have been 1973, mm-hmm. and the band had a split. So with the hardcore the players, and the real stage side hardcore players, uh, mm-hmm. had a split, and... Um, some of the guys living in the area, they would see me throughout the year from time to time and so on. Which side you're on, this side or that side, meaning the side that break away or you're still mm-hmm. with the invaders. So I was kind of in between what I'm going to do, should I go and play again or just give it a rest or whatever. And then anyway, I used to hang out on, on Frederick Road near the pie shop where recently deceased Rusty Soul Barry um, Howard. Barry Howard. Yeah, it's not I, too far, not too far from Carlos Street. Is that correct? It's on the corner of Carlos Street. I know the shop. I know yeah, the shop. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I saw. I was hanging out there on Traffic Road there, and um, one guy in particular called Brian Paris, same man we call him. He lived in Mexico now. He was in phase from then. Mm-hmm. So you could see me live in any night. He coming on the road to practice. Boy, you gotta come down in the village. Come down by the phase. You gotta come down. Mm-hmm. Boy, you gotta come and then a couple of the guys from school who was playing at the time. Boy, you gotta come. So eventually, it was a strange thing. I went through that year leading up to the carnival of 74, that would have been. So this mm-hmm. was 1973 I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And I passed through, I hear a few fellas from Stardew practicing in a yard in Hunter Street. And I don't know what happened. I just went straight home, pick up my sticks and went on my face too. Mm. It's like, you know, I can't explain what lead me there, maybe subconsciously, where them fellas, they had like, oh, come on my face, you know. Mm-hmm. And that was late 19th century. So the following panorama would have been their second panorama. Yeah. Which is the first year they went with their own composition. There you go. 1974. Mm-hmm. Which I'm called last year. Yeah, I think I tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, of course, one of the things that I recognize in the 70s, certainly in Trinidad, a lot of the a lot of musicians were kind of discovering their own voices. They were no longer, they wanted to have their own, own style of pop, their own style of jazz. And of course, early soca was all happening at that time. You, I don't know, well, Richard Bailey, who was, we're going to talk them about yeah. him a little later. Yeah. He and you had gone to England and had formed that band. But critically for me, that there was a point where Richard Bailey, Robert Bailey, Boogsy mm. yourself, Ralph Robertson, mm. a lot of these musicians, Michael Bootman and all, mm. were experimenting with new songs and new melodies and that kind of stuff. Were you composing back in the 70s? And I'll, I'll tell you around 1980. So oh, the 80s is when you started? 80, about 80, yeah. Okay. What happened was before that, in 78, mm-hmm. we had a quartet used to play at the Rose Royce on Abercrombie Street. Rose Royce, the school club, yes, I remember that. Yeah, it was a group we had called, Citizen was the name of the group. It was myself, Raph Robertson, Nancy Soul on keyboards, mm-hmm. Michael Toby Tobas on drums, mm-hmm. and the Philip Sunday, just the four of us. And we yeah. would play there every Wednesday. Wow. And in serious, between serious, that, yeah, jazz in, mm. in between that, Xander, we would do something with Xander. Mm-hmm. All these guys. Everybody's going. Yeah, man. I tell you, you know. Everybody's going, yeah. Yeah, man. But anyway, so, and we did something with Xander's whenever he have a performance. Mm-hmm. He would bring me in. We do a few nights with me and Boogie together with him and that kind of thing. But on a regular basis, around 78, mm-hmm. it was right as a quartet. We had called Citizen. Yeah, 
Yeah, so clearly there was a kind of performance. Everybody was finding the voice. Steel mm-hmm. Pan as a lead instrument, obviously, was happening. It was beyond a pan side. There's a Steel Pan as a lead instrument. For Trinidad, that was an early thing because it wasn't really happening back then. Mm-hmm. The only people, I mean, apart from that, before that time, was Earl Rodney and Friends. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, with Pan and you know, the Pan and go, thing, yeah. Yeah. I used to go and listen to Earl Rodney sometimes whenever he was sitting down in Woodbrook there. He and um, Fortuna Reese and Toby. Yeah, the Reese brothers. So, Ronnie was happening with that kind of thing just before that period, but across the board, that Mm. wasn't happening in Trinidad. So, you're among the pioneers in terms of using a pan as a lead instrument? Well, if they want to say so. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, part of your journey, of course, um, you, you already established as a pan player, a pan soloist in the 70s. Were you arranging for bands at that point? Or that hadn't come uh, as yet? Right. No, that didn't come yet. About okay. The early, well, in 76, they asked me to do a tune for Phase 2 when Bugsy was away. Mm-hmm. Some some song from some singer called Denise Williams. What's your name? Yeah, yeah Denise Williams, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So I did one thing, and then about 81, 82, somebody did the next song, Wrong Carnival Time. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Progress. And then by the early 80s, I started doing this where I'm sitting here. Well, not in this exact location, but where this mm. band is situated now, Ebony. That's the Ebony Seal Band. Mm. Yeah, so I started working with them from the end of 83. Okay. And from 84 until 2009, with a two year break, I did all the panorama for them and a lot of the repertoire. Mm. And did some work with them in Billy Ocean, and, but we'll get to that. We'll yeah. get to that, yeah. Because you're in England right now, I'm in Trinidad. But before you got there, I understand you, you went to the States first before you mm-hmm. got to England. Tell yeah. me that story, if you don't mind. But what really happened, by 1979, when I realized this, this is what I wanted to do full-time. This is going to be my profession and whatever. Mm-hmm. I look around, I said, listen, I, I, I miss this team band for this group and groove and if we get a trip to go somewhere, like we said six months or wherever it may be. Mm-hmm. Some guys who had a full-time job, they might be able to do it, whatever. Where does that leave me? I stop. They have their full-time, they can't go for three months or six months. So I have to just lay out and so now I realize you know something. I have now to branch up into my own way, you know, mm-hmm. and, and make a move. So I left, I went to New York, not knowing where I was going when I land, where if I'm going up, down, left, right. I don't even know if I was going to sleep that night when I land, but all I know is I'm going apart. You know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Where year was that? 79. 79. Okay, go ahead. 79. So when they had a place to spend a few nights, then I went to Washington. Mm-hmm. We had some past schoolmates of mine were studying at our university, and I went and hung with them and mm-hmm. over around, see what the scene was like. And then because that's same year of 79, just after Carnival, we did an album at Shark Studios. I've been Shark Rama said it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, album, the name of the album was Phase 2. Phase example. 2, yeah, the, the purple album, I might as well call it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. So it was um, me and Bugsy did all the pan work on it. Mm-hmm. 
Robert Bailey. Robert Bailey, Robert I think I produced it. Yeah. Right, right. Well, they already lined up Tony Voise and who and Richard. Top man, yeah. yeah. Right, now Richard played drums. So then, through chatting with that, I said, Cha, maybe I'm going to London and see what happens. So I left Washington hmm. that same year. I said, I'm going to take a trip to London and see what is really going on and bounce up with Richard and things. I said, I'm coming. Hmm. And met some of the musicians that he was you know, moving around with. Mm-hmm. And get a few jam sessions and the chemistry was really good, you mm-hmm. know, guys. And I went back to Trinidad and by 80 after Carnival, somebody come looking for a group to go on a cruise ship thing. Mm-hmm. I went on it, I spent a few months and I said, that's not for me, you know. <laughs> so, and I Obviously, you played Yellow Bird. <laughs> oh, God, you know. <laughs> we was taking some advent, we was taking some chances, eh? Uh-huh. Because the guitarist on that deceased again was Yusuf Baruch's uh, guitarist, Junior Warwood. Oh, yeah, Junior. Uh-huh. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah with um, Charlie's Roots. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, mm. Junior and we would take chances with the music. And say, mm. you know, that's not what we're really about. And we would mm. push ourselves on it and throw it on them and mm. see where it land, you know? So, we had fun with that because we experimented. And then I came, stop, we stopped off in England. The ship stopped in England. I called them guys. I said, listen, What's going on? They say, well, listen, we form a group, you know, it's called the Breakfast Band. Mm. I say, okay, Nico, we always discuss it, you know. Mm. What are we going to do if we had a... And so it came about, and that was that from that period, you know. Mm. So you're in the Breakfast Band, almost you are part of the foundation as it was, with yes, the Breakfast yes, Band, yes. With, with, with Richard and, and others. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Now, I know that the, I think the first album for the Breakfast Band was Dolphin Riding. Dolphin Riding, that's right. In 82, yeah, 82 of course. You yeah. featured, fe- featured prominently on that. You wrote any songs on that album? Well, what used to happen, how we used to set up was, without without saying this is how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. We would, the guitarist would start up something, the bass man would start up something, and they would get something going. And I would form the melodies for whatever they would do. So that kind of free jam. A collaboration, mm-hmm. right, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So they would start something. Uh, so mm. a lot of the stuff, a good bit of the stuff was stuff that I would write the melodies for, do the melodies for. Mm. So they would strike up this groove or whatever they did. Mm. Then we'd play And I would just throw a melody on top of it and give the sax player. Not 100% of the music, but like at least 80% of the music was part of my input. Band. I know they had a second album. Were you on the second album? No, by then I had branched out from. That branched out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. now, and there was another album that you did. I gotta let me know if it was in the 90s or if it was in the 80s. Take a taste. Right, that was 90... 97. That was 97, yeah. That is the biggest mystery because there's no information on that album. No, no, no. But we think after that, 
Mm. Somebody said, hey, do the CD, I'm going to um, finance it, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know nothing about thinking. thinking. Oh, I, was, I was just trying to focus on the music. Mm-hmm. I don't know about thinking album, album cover, not good. Mm. I didn't know about that. So, man, it was a kind of actually thing. But um, Richard played drums on it. Mm-hmm. Happy Williams, David, Happy got John Buddy's son. He mm-hmm. came over from New York to do the album with me. So, he came over, spent a few days recording mm-hmm. with me. Our guy, sax player called Rick Alice. Mm-hmm. Fantastic sax player, yeah, um, Jamaican roots. He play on it, and um, Robert Bailey played on a couple of the tracks, piano. Wow. And another guy called Godfrey Wang played piano. So and all my Godfrey Wang, yeah, I've heard yeah. that name with yeah. Billy Ocean. <laughs> yes, right. He worked <laughs> for years with Billy. That's yeah, right. I think the first time I saw Billy Ocean, he gave the spectacular for him when he was. It's, bef- it's after Caribbean Queen, but before something. Is that when they had the bandaid? Nah, nah, before that, he had come before oh. Band Aid, right? Oh. And he got free one because he called the guy's name, got free one. And I was saying, because kind of stood out on the stage, if you understand what I'm saying, right? That's right, that's the man. Yeah, so, that's 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 yeah. Mm. so that's how that album came about. It was mostly, mm. it was all my material except for one track, mm-hmm. it was a Clive Zander track I did on it called Hong's Bongs.
Onks bonks. Yes. Yeah. I hear that. I so, hear that. But um and then well follow up albums I did with other people from in France. Mm. Claude like, Sommier. Uh, Sommier, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the West Indies Jazz Band and the Luther France was musician. What so. year was that? The West Indies Jazz Band? That, that was, was in the early nineties? Ninety. Ninety itself. Yeah. Nineteen ninety. Um mm-hmm. recorded that in Paris. Mm-hmm. Second album follow up was in nineteen ninety two. Was that Medley for Marius? That's the first one. Medley's second, the first one. Yeah, the second one was called I think World Music. World music New World Music. New World Music, right. Yeah, yeah. 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 I have my notes here, so you know, yes. I, I know we kind of going back because yeah. I like to I like to go in a line as it was because yeah, but just because just before that mm-hmm. we did a Caribbean tour with Xander. Mm-hmm. 
I want to talk about that one. Ourselves. Well, first of all, we did 1988, we did the Barbados Jazz Festival. Mm-hmm. Myself, Errol Wise, Barney Bonaparte on bass, mm-hmm. Xander, of course, on piano, and uh, a guy called Newman Alexander. That's Newman Alexander, yeah, from, from Tobago? Tobago. Yes, mm-hmm. right. John Allen told me about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did that trip. And back in 90, we went back to do the Barbados Jazz Festival, but this time was me, Errol, Dougie on bass, Douglas Rego, mm-hmm. on bass, and Xander, four of us. And we did Martini. We did Babylon Jazz Festival, Antigua Jazz Festival, Dominicas, and Vince. We went all over the place. And after that, about a couple of weeks after that, I got a call from Luther Francois. Mm-hmm. And this is, uh, I wanted to come and do some work with the West Indies Jazz Band. West Indies Jazz Band. It was 1990, and then from there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, one of the things that becomes apparent in your, in your recording career, aside from Take a Taste, which was back in 97, you were guesting or performing with a number of musicians. We already talk about Boogsy with the Face 2 album down in Shark Studio. Um, yes, you had the, the Breakfast Band was in the early 80s, but you worked with Rudy Smith, you worked with Clive Zander, you worked with um, Claude Sommier from France. Um, then you had then, uh, this name that is to me is an important name in Caribbean music in, in England. Did you record it, Ross Henderson? Yes, 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 yes. Man, me and Ross, we got the next good soul. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was like... He did an album called Morning Sunrise at right, the end was, of 99. And your name that was... was two of, that was two of us. We did that. Again, I, I, I think this is one of the problems I have as, as, a, as a fan, as a person who's trying to chronicle the experience, the Caribbean jazz experience. A lot of these records aren't... Some of the artists don't name masters. So unless they have copies, they have to find it on the yes. internet and that kind of stuff. And that particular album, um, Morning oh, Sunrise yeah. by, with, with Ross Anderson himself... Yeah. I saw and I referenced it years ago and I, you know, I downloaded the album jacket, but of course I wasn't hearing any sound. Yeah. Literally last night, before this podcast, trying to research uh-huh. this thing, literally uh-huh. put in Russ Henderson and his ID and nothing uh-huh. came up. Nothing? Nothing came up. Oh, no. I had to go search it in my old hard drive to, to get the date and the name of the record. I said, this is, oh, I don't know whatever happens to this music because now I, I want to ask you, hey. Take a Taste was your record. Yeah. Do you have the masters or somebody else have that? Oh man, I don't know what become of that. I don't know what become of that. Wow. You have a copy of the record? Because there are people in Trinidad who want a copy of that record. I'm uh, telling you uh, this as a fact. Yeah, all right. I have a copy. I have, have copies somewhere. Yeah, I can put my hand on it, you know. Yeah, because somewhere, yeah. because I think, as I said, one of the things that has become very apparent is the artists don't own the music, right? Um, mm-hmm. As I said, one of my first podcasts was with Rudy Smith, and I know he's yeah. done about 12, 13 records yeah. and things. Mm-hmm. And he was explaining to me the, the, the scene in Denmark where he is, and even some of his early records, he owns some of them. But you know, he, he, a, a label will come to him, pay him, and he makes a record and he goes mm-hmm. his way, kind of stuff. But the music, some of the music is out there. Mm-hmm. But I, I think for fans of the music, and this is just me just giving an opinion, yeah. it's not a comment, I don't know, I dig at you. Mm-hmm. I just wish that more and more artists hold on to their masters. Because yeah. aside from our artists passing, as we, all the names that you call is, oh, is rest in peace, rest in peace. Yeah. That music is also going to disappear. And we, can't, we can't afford yeah. to have that going. So I'm just asking you in yeah, the future, because I know yeah. you have finished recording. Hold on to your masters. <laughs> no, you have a point. You have a very valid point. Mm. Now, that, that um, album, somebody in Switzerland and Zurich wanted me and Russ to come on the show. Mm-hmm. And with the intention of doing this recording a CD, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so we went to Zurich. We did the show the night. And from there, we went straight to the studio. No sleep. Mm-hmm. To record this thing live. Okay. So, 
the bass player and the drummer we met on the evening of the show mm-hmm. that I run through during the night. From there, we left the play venue and straight to the studio. Mm-hmm. So we finished recording like six in the morning or something. Morning sunrise. Morning sunrise. Makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah keep drinking coffee to keep awake. Mm. Because, and we have one of his tracks that we wanted to record, but he didn't like how it came out, so they decided mm. to leave it off the table. But I still play it in my repertoire when I go to play sometimes. Mm. A song called um, Soka Sunny. Anyway, so that's how that CD came about, you know, and people, people produced it, they put it out in Weber Way, and then a lot of people asked me for it, and we just can't find it. Can't find it. One copy of each of those CDs at the moment, you know, somewhere. I what? didn't try another thing, but I have copies guys probably have here, you know? Yeah, having a digital copy, amazingly, you don't need master, so it's technically mm-hmm. illegal to make mm-hmm. copies and sell. Right, right. But have them, right. having them available for archival purposes, it'd be nice so, if you could get a copy that, of Morning right. Sunrise and Take yeah. a Taste. Because even the, um, there was a double CD. Well, we're stepping back and forward. If that's okay. Yeah, yeah. No problem. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about the um, audio recordings. Right. 1991, we did a double album recording, live recording with Xander. Panja's Conversations. Right, that's yeah. the one. Yes, I <laughs> shocks. The only people around from that is me mm. because it was moving the guns on drums, mm-hmm. Slam Child, Slam on bass, right? Mm-hmm. And Fitzroy Coleman played guitar on a couple of the tracks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think about Mongol's Pakistan. Mongol, Mongol played that one, yeah, yeah. one or two tracks. Even yeah. that double CD is, I called Sanj. Mm-hmm. When I was in Trinidad recently, I said, Sanj, somebody want to get hold of this. Mm-hmm. See well, they could check that or whoever, wherever, wherever, some place in California. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah I, I mean, Simeon um, Sanderford, Sanj Records in Trinidad, yeah. he did a great job in archiving, certainly pan music, and doing these recordings of your quartet, Rudy Smith Trio, of course, that Xander Gayap workshop recording that you talk about in 91 Panjaz Conversations. And I, I, knew, I, I knew he updated the, the, you all did an album, yourself and Rudy, I think it was called um, Jazz, Jazz and Steel, right? There was, there was first one was called Panjaz Improvisations. That's the second thing. Mm-hmm. That's the second one. All right. Sorry. One on Steel was done in, I think, 89. 
You're correct. The second I, one was done in 98 with Felix Roach. You see, he's, he's correcting me, ladies and gentlemen. He's correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My notes are in front of him, and he's correct. <laughs> very, very much so. So, uh, but uh, the and I'm surprised to hear that Sanch doesn't have copies of the records. I'm very surprised yeah. to hear that mm, yeah, because, because it, it's important that we keep our hands on those kind of things and things. So, let's. I I, I could figure that certainly by '89, aside from your breakfast band, which you did yeah. in '82. Up to the late eighties and to the nineties, you were touring and recording. What was your touring scene like when you were out in England, Europe, and then? Because I'm sure you were on the continent. You could do jazz yeah, festivals yeah. and that kind of well, stuff. Well, uh, yeah, well, besides doing jazz festivals with the Breakfast Band, we probably did Berlin Jazz Festival, we did uh, Neon Jazz Festival, and other jazz venues all over Europe. And then, mm-hmm. not too long after that, the um, the Western Jazz Band thing came in, mm-hmm. and we did four years of that. From mm-hmm. after the, the breakfast band period, I did my own thing. Mm-hmm. The eighties, and then the rest of the jazz band thing happened for about four years. Mm-hmm. Then I went and do some other stuff on my own, you know, with the rest musicians, just freelancing and getting mm-hmm. like, on board. Do you plan on recording again, going down the road? Yes. Because I, I saw nothing in the two thousands in terms of recordings. Oh, yeah, what happened? I have, I have a lot of material, compositions. Yes done but the way the whole recording situation and the whole music scene is now mm-hmm. um recording cds is not really it's something not. that's happening right now who's gonna buy cds now like how it was before by record mm-hmm. also you think it's people going online apparently from what i understand and picking what you want if you it and that's it yes yeah, always mm-hmm. so you know it kind of I, I must i have to record at some point that's my intention mm-hmm. how to what 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 lane I want to go in mm. is what I'm trying to decide because it's nice to have a CD in your hand, all over your hand. Some people, you know, but yeah. the way things have changed, man. It's kind of slightly discouraging for me. I so, hear, I hear what you're saying. Um, the last podcast I had was with Cameron Pear, and he says basically yeah. the same thing because he actually was recording a, a new CD after his last one, and he stopped for the exact same reason you just gave there. He ah. said, "I don't know why people people aren't necessarily buying records anymore, and I'm not oh. sure, but." I've always suggested that jazz is not the same as pop music, Quite right? So. Pop music, if you're making a record and hoping to sell it, mm-hmm. it could be a very difficult um, situation. But jazz musicians can make a record, I think, at less expense than a pop artist. But you'll have the ability to tour and do gigs and that kind of stuff more frequently so that you always have that CD as your kind of, oh, you want to hear me play? Well, spend an extra, mm-hmm. I don't know what, 10 pounds, I don't know mm-hmm. the, the yeah, price yeah, of a CD yeah. is in England. And buy my CD also because mm-hmm. there are potential audiences, I believe, and certainly here in the Caribbean where we're starving from yeah. hearing original music, right? So, what's this? If trust me, that because I'm gonna get to that your festival performances, um, I'm part of the group that puts on jazz artists and the greens, and I know right, you did right. it in 2012, okay. right? Yeah. So, and the reason I mentioned this is because of that same take a taste mm. because we were developing the website and said, so I need to get a track from him, but mm. a, a solo track as opposed to the tracks that you were doing with Rudy or yeah. Clive or others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And one track did come, I think it was Onks Bonks itself. You, okay. you, somebody you had given a copy, but there were mm. no. So I said, well, make sure he has some CDs so, so that we can sell at the show. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then we came back and said, well, no, he doesn't have any CDs. And I said, well, we're going to not have CDs. Ah, <laughs> I just didn't think of, you know, look at the mind, you know, it's just going to be thinking about focusing on that, and, mm. which is, you know, I'm not really that business-like mind, if you want to call that business-like, but, you know, I'm not. But I understand vinyl is coming back and people say, 
Vinyl is back in a way. I mean, it's a little more expensive, so you could actually Clive Clive actually signed a contract with a company, a, a German company. They had a, a branch in Trinidad, and they released his first record, um, um, Kaiso Jazz Innovations, that kind of thing. Clive's that kind of thing, yes, with yes. that kind of thing. Yep. And they have it on vinyl, right? But the company, I think, just before Clive died, they, they, they printed X amounts, and I guess if it didn't sell, they no longer sell it online. But I have twenty copies of vinyl mm. here. To sell right so that the potential just as you said people will buy vinyl and people of a certain age who remember vinyl in the youth are going back and buying vinyl players and want to hear the music on vinyl and i think they cherish music a lot mm-hmm. longer than as i said pop stars so pop stars when, music is today and tomorrow done but when when that album first came out i had a copy I bought mm-hmm. a copy of that kind of thing. I was 1975 or somewhere back then. Yeah, 75, 76, something yeah, like that. Yeah, I bought I had a copy of that. And it's funny, strangely enough, we were doing Ronnie Scott's in London mm-hmm. at that night, just mm-hmm. yeah. a week, isn't it? And there's, <clears throat> there's a party you could just go downstairs with the musicians hang out as a bar in the, in the club. I mean, Ronnie yeah. Scott's is an international. He's a famous, yeah, it's like the place to play jazz in London. Yeah, uh, all the artists from America, you name them, are performed there. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I went downstairs recently, go and get a little drink and chill out before it. I hear the music playing. I said, but well, wait a minute, man. I know this man, this jammy, right? This is Ronnie Scott. So I go up to the bar, I post, and I said, could I see the album cover, this music they have playing here? Mm-hmm. And I look, it was Clive Zander, that kind of thing. That kind of thing. Album. This was in the early 80s, yeah. Mm-hmm. I said, but look where they find Zander. I don't even know these people have his material playing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I felt so, what a joy. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. That is what that is the power. Well, that is the power of a recorded uh, recorded song. Mm-hmm. If people had a copy of Take a Taste, <laughs> this <laughs> is a dig now. <laughs> if they had a copy of Take a Taste, it's gonna be played in a jazz club anyway, anyway. Uh, yeah. But say what, right? Okay, That's how it is. But mm-hmm. but the fact that Xander material right reached there it was mm-hmm. really a fulfilling okay. Yeah, I hear you. So um but Clive Zander's music is recorded. Yours is recorded. Rudy Smith. I, I knew I, Rudy famously told me because he asked him. You know, always ask musicians. Well, who's who's a, who's a good pan player? As it was, and your name was first, right? So I know you all have this 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 mutual relationship <laughs> thing, right? I don't know if it's a thing that musicians have. Do you look? Do you judge other panists? Or oh, before I get to that, yeah. what is your what is? Are you a steel pan virtuoso? Are you a steel drum musician? Are you a right. panist? What? Give me that definition because that was a problem. Not panist at all. Leave all that one. I don't want to be called a panist at all. Explain that to me, please. The panist thing. Yeah. Well, if I could be doing this all my life, mm. my profession, I do this all my life, and somebody come once a year pick up a cowbell or pick up. You <laughs> play a pan one tune of Brahma and they become a panace. Mm. I am a panace. I don't understand it. So if I go in Savannah every Sunday and play a football, you call me a footballer. Mm. I, mean. I am not a footballer. I so you come, you play a pan once a year in a Parma, wherever it may be. Mm-hmm. Go now a panace. So here what happened. Leave me out of that bracket. Just call me a pan man. That's good enough for me. A yeah. pan man. Because a pan man, a pan player, all that's fine with me. Just don't call me a, a pan. panist. Anything else is all right. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear yeah. you. As I said, it, it, it came up when um, when we were programming the jazz artists and ingredients mm-hmm. in 2012. I think we, we wrote panist. And then it came back to us. No, steel pan virtuoso. But I was listening to an old Gael interview years ago with Tony ah. Hall. 
and yeah, he yeah. asked you what it was and they said well oh. i'm a steel drum musician yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm thinking well how yeah. do you define yourself because yeah. i i know everybody is very sensitive to that yeah, and yeah, yeah. i prefer to the panis is not for you not at all, at all at i hear you i hear yeah. you loud and clear that i mean it's just it was something nice at the time for people to get some kind of respectability, I suppose. You know, I think and people wanted a name because there was no name. Yeah, for a person who plays pan, right? Yeah, and and yeah, right. so somebody just will call it panist, like a pianist or, yes, exactly. or a saxophonist or some kind of thing. So. I will settle for pan man, pan player, anything like that. I got you. Not a panist. We will note yeah. it fully. Ladies and gentlemen, he is not a panist. He's a steel drum player, a steel pan virtue, a pan man. Pick one. Yeah. Do not call him a panist. He's not yeah. a pickup side guy. I hear you. I hear you. Let me ask you about the English um, jazz scene. How hard is it to kind of get into that scene? Playing a steel pan, which is a little unique instrument. It's not a saxophone, it's not a guitar. Well, first of all, I mean, in terms of Europe, England was never really a jazz place historically. I mean, mm -hmm. in the sense of when you go back to the early days when all the top jazz musicians from America was coming to Europe, mm -hmm. then would bypass England mm -hmm. to, to Scandinavia, they go to France, Belgium, these places, open welcome with open arms, red carpet stuff. Mm -hmm. So traditionally, but still, you meet musicians here who welcome the addition if mm -hmm. you know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, as I say, there's still a situation that, that exists where some people get caught with the novelty of the instrument. Mm -hmm. You know, it even happens in Trinidad too. But to this day, you know what they think is jazz or what or what. And I, I don't even call myself a jazz player. Oh, you don't? I, well... You know, it's this term jazz is a difficult term, you know. Well, I, mean I, I admit that you you improvise, you have a melody, right. oh lady, walk a mile and a half, and you improvise it for right. 10 minutes, so. Well, right, so um, <laughs> once music allows me the freedom to express myself spontaneously, mm -hmm. all that jazz, but jazz is itself is a way of, of life too, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, Cameron, I heard part of this thing, and what did we were on the same page when I heard the same spot on this, which is when mm -hmm. he mentioned about we might play a reggae and think we're playing reggae. When you really hear Jamaican play reggae, you realize you're not really You're not playing reggae. Yes. You understand right. what I mean? So, mm -hmm. and that was spot on. It happens in all form of music. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we may play something that sounds like it, but mm -hmm. the real source, you know. So would, you, would you suggest that only Trinidadians could play pan music? Just a... Not really. No, no, no. I've heard some guys out here playing pan. I mean, as again, as a quite very good question. Mm -hmm. There may be a subtle difference, but I have encountered guys here quite bring down the Trinidad to plain panorama. I mean, mm -hmm. English guy, white guy, mm -hmm. if you want to use that term. You know, if you're so. going with that term, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. And I remember one guy in particular when I was arranging for a band in South, Alomo Kingdoms, mm -hmm. the 80s, he came down. So I just beat pan and set him up in the middle of Skinner Park while the band practiced him. Just to, just to tease them, you know? Yeah. And they were like freaked out because, I mean, the guy could have really played. You know okay. what I mean? And if he played, you wouldn't know. You just wouldn't know that he's from, you know. But again, he's he's playing what he's playing. And he understands what he was playing. Mm -hmm. you know? And he could play. And he could play. That's he important. Would show him. You know, exactly. So, you know. so, I mean, you have that. But in terms of across the board, I mean, people 
some people want to sing calypso from up, from abroad and mm. it sounds like a calypso when you really yeah. hear the real guy singing yeah that, yeah that was the nonsense it was when he says after belafonte yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly you know yeah yeah that yeah, was but the, the term jazz I, i have a problem i mean people have to put you in a bracket and put you in a label or something you know but mm. as i say i like don't get me wrong jazz is my thing i love that mm-hmm. you know right mm-hmm. but to go out and out and say hey i'm a jazz man or mm-hmm. something like that that's not for you once i to play music that allow me that freedom of expression spontaneously mm-hmm. if you want to call that jazz that's fine i hear you you don't really like to call yourself a jazz musician i hear what you're telling me um jazz is more of a i want to say a lifestyle but there's an experience that yeah, yeah. Americans definitely own right yeah. and everybody else yeah. is a kind of a interloper they try not a china thing as it was mm-hmm. i hear you but um i do really ask say about the idea of a steel pan as a lead instrument mm-hmm. and how unique it was right I, i remember meeting online mark cherry i think his dad yes, was yes. one of those early men who came to, to yeah. caribbean presence and thing yeah. and he had a he recently had a pan album a, a, a brand new album I'm just what as I was asking about the scene in 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 England. Mm. I know Rudy's in Denmark. Mm. You are in London. Well, Mark Cherry's in London. Are there mm. other panists? There's this guy Wilbert Junior Gill. I think he's in Switzerland. Yes, and uh, you know, Junior Gill sadly passed away. No, around December. No, yeah, yeah. you see what's happening. Fact, he was one of the people in one of the people who instrumental in pushing for that thing. With me and Russ and Zurich through the album, the morning sun. Mm, yeah, because I know yeah, he was based I, out there. I spoke to him a couple of weeks before he passed away. But Rudy was there. Mm-hmm. And whenever Rudy in town in Switzerland, he would put Junior on the phone to be the chat. We can know him from way back. And we spoke mm-hmm. a couple of weeks later. He had passed. Yeah, this is an operation and mm, didn't make it through or something. This, anyway, this is happening too frequently. Just uh, out of curiosity, what did he have Caribbean heritage, or he's born abroad? I know he has some. I don't know which ship is both of his parents, or at least one for sure. Mm-hmm. This was from Barbados. Oh, Barbados. All right, yeah. Because yeah. I remember yeah. he had he he was in England, but they, I I didn't get the impression he was born in the Caribbean. I think he was. Uh, yeah, yeah, from up here, but he had Barbados roots. Yeah, Barbados roots. Yeah. All right. Well, as I said, one of the things about the steel pan as a lead instrument, of course. In America, you have Andy Nerell in Denmark. You have Rudy, yourself in England, with and working with other musicians as yeah. it was. So it's not, and it's not, it's not as popular. There are a few young musicians now coming up in terms yeah. of recording music. Yeah. You already tell me that you're not, you're not sure if the the business of music for steel pan or for Caribbean music generally for music is worth it, right? Um, I hear what you're saying, but I I'm aware certainly that gigs pay the bills as i said cameron told me that he had gigs and gigs and he he, he had caught the pine as a as a as a musician who he worked with for many years yeah what about I, you is it is it economically great for you to stay in england and play pan or that european scene or does it make sense to come they, back to trinidad well the whole the whole scene has changed mm-hmm. you know um machines as we know taking over a lot mm. um for whatever purposes that may hold but um there was a time when you had so much music around vibrant live music going on place to place place to place place, to place. Mm-hmm. and all that that has kind of slowed mm-hmm. but um the gig scene there's one time i used to be really busy mm-hmm. my mind two studios in the same day do one recording or another rush another studio do a session with somebody else and that kind of thing Mm-hmm. But because the whole scene has changed, all of that slowed down, you know. So, 
you have to try and find other ways mm-hmm. to keep things ticking, you know what I mean? So, in that regard, <clears throat> I mean, right now, you asked me if it's good to be home. Good to be home always, yes. And I'm trying more. I'm, hey, Mr. Spell, at least half a year in each place kind of thing, you know? Mm. As I said, it... it I have to admit, a lot of musicians who leave the Caribbean, they go to America. It seems as though there are more opportunities in America. But you initially had gone to America, but then you recognize, I'm going to go to England. Yeah. I think you carved out a unique space for you. There is no two ways about it. I don't know. I don't know. I know Richard Bailey have a, he play pan on his album yeah, yeah. and that kind of stuff, but I know him as a drummer. First, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he's sticky. Yeah, he. yeah, but as a pan player, yeah, and yeah. he's, I did full stop. I said, where are you going after that? <laughs> well, I've been because, on this scene for a while, you know. With, because um, one of the other things that you did was, um, in terms of recording, of course, you work with Billy Ocean, Trinidadian, you must do that. But um, there was another album, a record that Julian Locke, and it was a kind of acid jazz record that was well, came out like 95 or something, so really funky kind of thing. And there's a pan solo. And of course, in my research, I say, oh, of course, and he's added. There's so many people I record with here over the years. Mm-hmm. And at one time, as I said, I was in one studio one morning, mm-hmm. and by the afternoon, evening, the next studio, running to the next session with somebody. Mm-hmm. And it was like that back and forth for a long time, you know, that period. So there's so many people I record with, I don't recall. And sometimes I hear something and I say, yeah. it's familiar, but that's something like me, you know. Mm-hmm. Even a um, brother resistance thing. Mm-hmm. Because here, some whenever you come to London, we'll, 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 I'll do shows with him, you know? Yeah. He go back since the days of QRC and thing. Mm-hmm. And he was here one year and I kind of produced this album for him. So I got all musicians, started oh. mm-hmm. studying music for him, got Richard to play drums on it, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. And sometime recently, there, I heard this line on Pan Plain. I seen I know this line on it. But, you know, right, those shops that were did with him with the album in London. And, is a line is what was it bring me bell? I can't wish some of it. Baba da ba da 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Big hits. So, I mean, there's so much stuff that, you know, I do recall all the people I work with. It comes from time to time. And- yeah, well, as, as, as you're saying, you are a session musician. And again, Cameron, we're going to refer to him. Yeah, yeah. Earlier in his career, he said that he was a session yeah. musician. playing plenty, plenty records. And you don't know, he said, you just get a phone call. Come on, do the gig. You do exactly. the gig, get paid, you go. Yeah, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know who the record yeah. is. Yeah. I mean, I, I went to the studio once and the producer, this guy from America had this song. Mm. Kid Creole and the Coconuts. Kid Creole, right? Yeah. Yes. Oh, Annie, you're not my daddy. Yeah. yeah. He's the producer for this group called Fuck the Poison. 
Mm-hmm. I says, you know, what do you know? I hear these things later on. You can't sick. You gotta rack your brain. I remember this mm-hmm. the way. What? What? Then you come back. It's so like, you play, yeah. you played on Annie. I'm not your daddy. Or he? Oh, oh, not track, no, but he was producing. But he was producing. Kid Creole was producing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was oh. a producer. So I had to deal with him directly in the studio. He go through that. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, I don't remember all the people you work with. I mean, even the um, there's a song. Somebody tell me they heard it recently. It was Butch Kelman the tuner last week? I think it was a Kenny Phillip program. But um, it was a Robert Bailey composition called Smile. Mm-hmm. That was 1980 or something. Jenny Pakira sang it. Jenny Pakira, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she sang a song called "My Raft Played." Nappy Mayers, the mm-hmm. seas played. Same Barry or, and myself, and I played pan on that. And came out and I sang this thing. I said, "Well, wait a minute." And that, that was my like 1980 somewhere. Yeah, I, I, oh. I uh, the 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 that early 80s, as I said. Well, I would suggest even to the mid 70s, going forward to the 80s, where Caribbean musicians. I see. They were flirting with jazz. It could have been world music. Mm-hmm. Robert, Robert was in OCBC and I was in the early 70s and yes, things. Yes. Richard had Batty Mamzel. He must have yeah. been a kid when he came out of that. Right. But um, certainly in England and, and in America and in Trinidad and Tobago, certainly they were doing creative stuff, challenging the norm as yes. it was to play yes. music. Yes. And I think they put a stamp. And of course, we kind of, well, I always lead back to, to Clive for that, um, that kind of thing album. Mm-hmm. In terms mm-hmm. of saying, okay, that is what Kai Soja is supposed to be. But yeah. all of yeah. your, all of, at the time, you all were younger musicians than Clive. But you all were feeding from the same trough. This is yes. our music. Kai exactly. is a thing. But we, ha- we want to mix it with what's happening out there. Exactly. Exactly mm-hmm. so. Well yeah. put. That's exactly what's happening. The energy about it was, was mm-hmm. a channel along that road. You know what I mean? Because these people already have their thing out there. Mm-hmm. And when they, I go with some musicians out and I would play and give them a, a, a Zander composition. Mm-hmm. Show them it. So, okay, these guys. I mean, piano players, sax player, whatever. And all that material, I will give them, a, pick out a couple of Zander songs and they blow their mind. It's like, wait, who's mm-hmm. this little guy? Boy, you song is over. Feel the different energy, the difference in what's going on with them. It's not, you know, mm-hmm. it was unique. Mm-hmm. It really was unique, and and it's as I said, it I I've told I've told everybody who wants to hear more. I say this: Clive had a version of um Mr. Walker, yes. Mr. Walker, and I heard mm-hmm. it years and years ago, seventy five, seventy six, in an old Volkswagen car, my mother car, and I heard this piece of music, and I'd heard Dave Brubeck. I knew what uh-huh. Dave Brubeck's piano song had sounded like. So when I heard it, I thought it was Dave Brubeck. And I tell, I said, yeah, boy, Clive Zander get yeah. Dave Brubeck to play. <laughs> I, mean, get Sparrow, I mean, Dave Brubeck, Sparrow. I said, yeah, boy, Sparrow, rich, boy. <laughs> and then it's a minute, I said, no, I tried that. I fell in Clive Zander. I said, who? I said, nah. At that point, yeah, I was okay. completely sold. I said, if this is the music that will get us out into the big world, because we were flirting with the early days of Soka still, and Calypso had already been there. I said, mm-hmm. see this thing? Where we, Kaiso Jazzy calling it? That is the music. Let me tell you. Because that was it for me, boy. I said, yeah. I said this, uh, listen, I said this to many musicians in Trinidad, and I always said it. If Clive was to be out in these countries here, mm-hmm. the right musician behind mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He would have been blowing this place away. Yeah. All the time. And no mistake about it. I've always said that for years. And I'm telling that. That's oh, yeah. true. He had something going for him that was just mm-hmm. awesome. You know? It's quite true. It's, it's, 
there's no fault of Clive. Clive came back, he came back and he worked as an architect and he just played yeah. when he played and that kind of mm. stuff. But And he didn't make many records. I remember I had to write a tribute for him after he passed in the yeah. beginning of this year. And I was, again, you know, searching what records he had. Clive had forgotten. Years ago, I was asking him, after that kind of thing, yeah. I asked him, I said, so what else you have? And he couldn't remember and all that kind of stuff. And we found his second album, Fantastic Visions. I mm. think that came out in 1980. Yeah. And um, I said, well, Clive didn't remember it coming out. And then he had a 12-inch single. And I said, what's going on, Clive? So when we added up everything, there were only about five records, five did albums. He, did he mention the Panjaz conversation? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That, that, yeah, yeah. On that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was definitely one. That we had, we had recorded, we had noted that. And then he had put out a couple albums on his own, privately on his own, right, near the end. Um, but the idea of creating this original music and being part of the business of music has been difficult. It's been really, really difficult. I, I've done a number of demo tapes with Xander. Mm. Studios with those days was KH or Paul Ron or KH. Yeah, KH, yeah. We mm. did a lot of demos and demos and nothing never come. He just had it there. He kept it there. And, you know, sassy. But <laughs> this, yeah, that, it, that guy, uh, compositionally, mm-hmm. fantastic. I mean, when you when you work with Clive, it's like, rehearsing with Clive was really... I wouldn't even call it rehearsing, but it rehearsed it like you mm. go to the gig and totally different. Totally different, yeah. But you had no choice to play if it's one thing. When you're on stage with Clive, it's sink or swim. <laughs> <laughs> you can't swim later for you. Correct. correct. That was a great that we really wanted with Clive.
did um our uh back in uh, a couple of years before he passed we that is production unlimited made jazz artists and greens we had an idea we had an opportunity to work with the university of trinidad and tobago a kind of collaboration and do some little concerts and of course I have this beautiful nine foot bosendorfer piano so the first thing that popped in my head is well you have to have clive's hand in concert and i said well clive i want you to play all the songs on that very first album and he said no problem and he played a couple so it was russell durity on bass of course richie joseph on drums yeah, it's a trio yeah, that was the main trio. Right. And we had we had one of the halls at UTT Upper, the Academy of Performing Arts at UTT, at UTT. And he played the whole album, right? But Russell was telling me, he said, Clive, tell us one thing. And when we go on stage, Clive went in an opposite direction. And then he just and then he's pointed at you and he'd stop playing. Time for you to solo. This is what I'm telling you. Think or swim with life. Think or swim, yeah. You can't swim. Don't go on stage. Don't go on stage. That is how it is. And and it seems to be a tradition in jazz. You know, everybody's having a conversation, but everybody better know how to swim because we're not going on this stage. If you're if you're not prepared, don't come on stage. And that's one thing with Clive. You Mm -hmm. had no choice but to play. Mm -hmm. You know, once you get on there with him, it was no if so no. You have to play. Otherwise, no. Otherwise, you're in trouble. As we talk about performances with some of these mm-hmm. other musicians, I know, of course, you've done it, Rudy, but another, you mentioned his name, Raph Robertson, once yeah. again deceased. Yeah. That was a shock to me, boy, shock to Likewise, me. Likewise. Yeah. yeah, we were having a concert mm-hmm. and Raph said, just hold a ticket for me now. I said, no problem. And then the night he showed, I said, where Raph is, boy? He called the next, he said, but I think I have a cold. I said, I have a cold, uh, where are you? Yeah. Raph was already in the hospital, and that was it. Rest yep. in peace, Raph. But I know there, there's a, a, a widely circulated video online called Jazzans, I think it was yes. 1987. Yes, yeah. You remember that whole show, that whole, how that came about because there's a f- feature with you in it and Raph in it? But, but here we really after that. I had not been to Trinidad for two years straight. Normally I would try to come back even if it's for Canada. Mm. I've been to Trinidad for two years at all from 85 until that 87. I came back down to about that. Before I left, a few of the guys said, man, after man, you know, we ain't here play for a long time. Why you don't do a concert before you do that? Like, mm-hmm. That's how it really started. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. Was uh, <clears throat> three guys behind that was Italian deceased, Rasi Soul, Dennis Drakes, and Seven Tarak. Mm-hmm. So they were saying to me like, and I said, you know, you didn't play here for a while, they ain't here yet play for a while. Do something before you go back up. And that's what came about. Simply that and I brought together the guys, brought together Barrier, again, mm-hmm. in Raf. Um, Terry Shaw played guitar, Michael Nicer on bass, mm-hmm. and I believe we were like, oh, that was played percussion, I believe, Biter, we call him. Biter, yeah, Biter. Biter, mm-hmm. that's right. Mm-hmm. So that's how we came out. I know when the video is out there, it is presented as if it was rough concept, and I was being featured. Kind of, yeah. It's the other way around. It's the other way around. Oh. And he was part of it. he was part of it. Yeah, but you mm. know how things just happen, people, is, you know, yeah, that is, you know, and over. <laughs> Things like that happen. We're good. Yes, yeah, exactly. You know, so it happens like that.
But yeah, that was that was a special night. You know? mm. It was a special night. You ever performed with him after that jazz dance in terms of yeah, gigs did, uh, yeah. abroad well, and thing? Mm. Yeah, we did. Um, we did a few things in Barbados. Then we did something in London here. I think in '96. Mm. Yeah, we did something in London '96 with him. And then I think I did something in the States. Could have been could have been New York. I think it was, yeah. So we did things elsewhere. Elsewhere. Apart from that, whenever you're on here. And I was, he wanted me to play with um, the first album, which was uh, Branches. Branches? Mm. That was yeah, second album, yeah. Mm. Yeah, he was run, recording, I think, in Canada Times. And he picked me up at the airport in New York. I was just coming back from the Martinique Jazz Festival. Wait, which one on a second? Um, that is the one with Kitchener's music, or that was yes, with, yes. with Kitchener's music? Yes. Right, that's Branches. Mm. So second album, go ahead. Yeah, that, that was I mean, the first. The, the first one was called that's Just Teasing, and that's that was his compositions. Right. I think yeah. Joe Brown initially may have yes. oh, produced that, that, that record. Yes. Yes. Joe, yeah, right. Yeah, okay. Joe Brown may have produced that. Right. Record. The second one branches with branches, but you're right, branches. Yeah. But he was in Canada with Eddie Bolen. Yes. Right. Yes. For them, you're correct. Uh-huh. Branches. Right. Mm. Was again, I so, but I was coming back from the Martin Jazz Festival. I was a stop off in the states for a bit before mm-hmm. going to London. Mm-hmm. So well, it'd be nice if you could come and do some work on the album, whatever, whatever. So he picked me up at the airport. Mm-hmm. And, but the thing is, the way my whole flight was going out in a range, you didn't have enough time for me to go and spend a couple of days in the studio mm-hmm. wherever he was. And mm-hmm. So it was a kind of rush thing. So we had just abandoned that idea. Mm-hmm. And that was that, but it was a beautiful album. I mean, yeah, been, really brilliant album. Oh, and oh, yeah, and yeah. It's, it's kind of featured now because this is the 100th anniversary of Kitchen's so yeah, yeah, Booth. Exactly. And yeah. you have a whole album of Kitchener music. <laughs> it becomes yeah. all of a sudden, yeah. it becomes yeah. an important album in terms of understanding Kitchener as a composer and thing. Sure. Yeah, that's what it is. I know one of the songs that you do often, mm-hmm. and this particular song that you like to play, Bluesette. 
Oh, why, 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 why blues that? I know it's a great song, but you seem to have a passion for that particular yeah, song. Yeah, yeah, it just it does something to me, man. I don't know who it is. It, the chord progressions, you know, the sequence of the chord progressions, the way he uses it, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, I don't know, it's just something does something to my emotions, you know. Mm. And I, for me, music has to be emotion. Mm-hmm. If I can't feel emotion about music, then that is it. That is just it's machine music. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, I can't be part of it. It has to do something to me, you know. It has to wake me up, you know? mm-hmm. and that's what these songs is. It's just timeless for me, you know. Hey, and okay. the way the whole progression is, is so brilliant, each structure. You know? mm. I just love it. <laughs> Fantastic right. melody. with Rudy as I said um, the first time I met Rudy was at I think actually Raph himself had a, a show at Napa it was a kind of celebration of the the, um, the Steel Banner bird song kind of celebration oh, yeah. uh-huh. and I, that's when I first met Rudy there and um, of course he, as a, you may have been there I can't remember if you were there but that's when he told me about how great you were and of course we knew who you were we knew how good you were but you all work together you and Rudy I mean perform yeah, duets perform- yeah, we performed in London here up to about five, six years ago. We did something together here.
years ago we did some really together in Copenhagen in Denmark. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I'm ever did some in Switzerland or so, but and then mm-hmm. Sweden. Mm-hmm. So over the years, you know, at some point we come together and do and do work and thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I I recognize your your you work well with musicians, but you you are although you're a a pan player. Having the solo instrument, you've worked and bonded certainly with uh, with Rudy, mm-hmm. um, with Raf, and of course with Clive. That that guy up workshop, yeah. um, Panjab's conversation is still a, a classic as far as I'm concerned. But the idea of, and you're not recording now, and I, I just keep harping on this thing. Is there going to be new music for let's see for Caribbean audiences to hear, for Trinidad audiences to hear from Anis Hadid? Because if he's not I, I, recording it, is he going to perform it? And say, I have well, a brand new song I here. Come and hear it. I certainly would hope so. Because mm. I keep getting, having compositions. I put in them down. I put them down. You know. mm. and, um, sometimes it's, it's a question of getting with musicians who understand the concept. Mm-hmm. What do. Like I keep saying sometimes, uh, some of the guys are so, let's forget about the notes right now. It's not so much about the notes. It's about a concept I'm trying to to mm-hmm. it, to understand what it's about. You know, so it's just getting that together for people to understand. So uh, I can't underemphasize the word concept. Rather concept, yeah. The notes will come. The notes is there, you know. Mm-hmm. So I have a few compositions, quite a number of compositions that have never been released. Or, you mm-hmm. know. So at some point, one day, definitely, I'm just itching to get it out, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. to do it, you know. Are the so, musicians in England, I won't say better, but how do they compare to, to, to get this concept out? Which, do you need Caribbean Trinidad musicians or the English musicians will help, will work with you? English When I say English, I mean it would be guys based, well. Who, so it's Caribbean musicians based in England. Caribbean musicians based in England and those who mm. born here and whatever, mm-hmm. whatever, you know. And I'm not saying that to, to you know, bring down musicians mm. that we have in Trinidad. It's mm. just that it's a different experience out here, whether you come to England or Europe or America. Mm. It is a different experience. Definitely. Same if you take the guys, good musicians out of Trinidad and bring them out in any of these countries, mm-hmm. to interact, they come into a different, you know, different scene and then mm-hmm. they go the vocabulary in ah, different ways. Yes. You know? Mm. And that's what it's about. And that's one of the reasons if I didn't leave Trinidad and spend all this time out here, mm-hmm. I don't think I would I would never be the player I am or Range I am or whatever mm. No way, no way. If I'd stayed in Trinidad all this time, you'd have been limited. You think? Of course, of course. Wow. What does I mean, that say for the ones who stayed? Because mm. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just thinking. Subject. I don't want to get into me. I don't want to call this, but you know, there are musicians or rangers who have stayed, <laughs> but the potential could have been greater. But you, yeah, you yeah, recognize yeah. going abroad is necessary. <clears throat> almost <clears throat> going abroad is necessary to expand that vocabulary. Of course. of course, of course, of course, without a doubt. Without mm-hmm. a doubt. And I mean, right now, we have, as I say, you know, situation in Trinidad in the pan scene where, you know, there's a certain direction is going in right now and I don't want to really comment. And I, I hear you. That 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 comment was gold again. Rudy Smith <laughs> coming up this day popping up a lot. He had said, he had said something very similar. It's going in a direction, and I don't want to comment on it. No, <laughs> no. Yeah, those were these words. You see, I just always tell people I was spoiled mm. in the sense that the era I came through at the time, the mm. names that was called, and whether it be Bugsy, Rudy, Tello, mm. Bobby Green, mm. Rodney, mm. you know, uh, Ray Hallman. Uh, 
about me, all these people. I mean, that put me in good stead. I was coming through a good, you know, a good period there. And back then, your name wouldn't have just call like that. No way. You mm. couldn't get called it. But nowadays, everybody is, a, as I say, Panis. A Panis, uh, yes. I realize what you're saying. You know, you know when, um, it was a different period. But on the other hand, <clears throat> in, in that formative period, I okay, I will hear this one play. I will, well, okay. Ian Bugsy been going back for years and years, you know. Mm-hmm. First hand, that is. Mm-hmm. As a poster with Rudy, I was his record stuff. Rudy. Eventually, we all, in the years or after that, we managed to play on the same stage, me, Robbie, Rudy, this one, that one, whoever, whoever. And it's great. And stuff. But the formative period coming through there, I would never just listen to a pan player. I might hear Robbie on a record with Taj Mahal or whoever he was with. Jello mm-hmm. with um, oh, Jaco, yeah. Or whoever. Yeah, right. You know, so. mm-hmm. And that's about it. I was always listening to other musicians, trumpet players, piano players, guitarists, saxophone players. Mm-hmm. It's never a thing for me to sit on because I play in pan. I have to listen to other band players. Mm. It was not that. You know. As far as I saw it, I was a musician. This happened to be my instrument. I have to listen to all instrumentalists. You know, gotcha. understand what I mean? Gotcha. It would be for me to say I can just listen to band people. You know what I mean? Mm. So, so that was it there. You know, and, um, coming back to what you were saying earlier on, yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was spoiled at that time in that era. Guys mm. was, you know, coming up, and I mean. I am kind of grateful that at some point during that period, my name gets a little call here and there. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because whatever this guy was, you know, mm-hmm. the guys at the time, you know, coming mm-hmm. through that early 70s period. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, there you have it. I hear you. Well, of course, you, you call the names of some great musicians and arrange. And I remember having this question I'd asked Rudy about what Rudy had as Rudy even Robby up to recently. Y'all are individual um i nearly say panis individual <laughs> pan players who have recording careers robbie rudy yourself and when time and, and panorama as you already said you know it's going in another direction so even andy norell but when you have when you come to that competition that grand competition of panorama and introduce new ideas the the, the as for an ensemble a steel band it's not seem to be accepted by the wider Pan community certainly here in Trinidad and thing. Yeah, you have any you have any, anything to say about arranging for Pan? I mean, you've done it for Colombo Kings, for Ebony Steel Band in England for many years. I understand nine consecutive years winning. Okay. What, what is okay. what are your feelings about the future Skiffle of Pan? Skiffle, anyway, yeah. Um, you know, arranging for Parama, you're kind of you're between the devil and, and the deep blue sea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, catch twenty two. You try to create, you try to be innovative or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then, on the other hand, you're well aware of the people who's judging you, mm-hmm. not really of that mindset. Mm-hmm. So, where do you go? Where do you? Go? Then a band is not going to hire you unless they're getting results. These bands going to Parama. If you're going to talk about that, they're mm-hmm. not interested too much in oh God, boy, that is nice music, too nice, boy, that piece of mm-hmm. music. Da, 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 da. If they're not making the final and doing. Mm-hmm. To your gallery yourself, you understand? Mm-hmm. So, where do you fit yourself in there? You know, unless it's your band, mm. you can't really move you from there, kind of thing. You know? Well, we know who but that I, is. Yeah, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, yeah, that's okay. But yeah. um, band hire you, and if you don't see the results, mm-hmm. let me show you something. <clears throat> Ninety-six or something. Then I came back 
when Bugsy couldn't come for the, for the, for the semis and finals, so mm. they phoned me and I kind of ignored the call for a week or two. I knew it was over. She's called her sense it was to do this for you. So then I said, I didn't want to get involved. I took the call. I said, listen, you know, really going to go paranormal. He said he wasn't going, but he going to go now. He talked to Bugsy, he said, check you, you're man, da 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 Ten days to go. Huh. So, Ten days, all them big horses done. Yeah, they're in here, right? Yeah. Coming and tightening up, mm. you know. Yes. What are you uh, going to do 10 days to do this tune? I never hear the tune. Mm. Say, well, you know. So, anyway, I say, all right, fine. So, I land in the airport, and there's a still cassette and thing. Mm. Manager and the captain pick me up in the airport, in the car. Go know the car is the pulley cassette on the first time I hear the tune. We come in the yard, the band was waiting, the stage side, they run the tune, do some progress. That's okay, we'll start in the morning, do it. Right, what we do? So happened that it was it was successful and that they run high up in the preliminary to the four four whatever. Mm. And they still go and did the tune, whatever. And I got a call before even the finals, I think what had happened. I get a call from my mother. So it's bad. And his first thing to me on the phone was, Yeah, know, I want to win a parama next year, you know. Mm. So well boy, I don't know how to what to tell you, how I go respond to you. <laughs> well, I'm not judging the parama. If I was judging the show, I could give it. <laughs> I arrange it, I ain't judging it. So that was his, so I'm just showing you how mm. these people, when they want to hire a ranger, unless they see some success that whatever in their mind is success. Mm. Then, you know. So anyway, I went and do the work for the band. They won South Zone. They came on 150 National. We were open a couple years. And, but that is generally what it is. So as an arranger, it is really a tough spot to be in. Mm. have to kind of compromise creativity, if you want to use that word, fine. Mm. And try to balance it with what you think these people who are supposed to be judging might be hearing or not hearing. Mm. <laughs> you understand? And if the bands figure, look, well, I think it's time to make a switch as well. Let me check on Harry instead of the next year or something. Mm. That's what happens, yeah. Yeah, it's a tough call. It's a really a tough call. As I said, um, Rudy has had experience more recently with, with Robbie Greenwich. You were successful some years, of course, but the last couple of years, I know you arranged for Starleaf and it was and and yeah. Despots themselves, and it was a little yeah. rumbling. Yeah. Rudy, I think, was with Birdsong, and in was with Birdsong and Skiffle. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've often wondered, these, but these are artists who are established, who have careers, who are good. That's not poor what Timmy Martin said. These are good musicians. How you gonna yeah. say how the music they arrange when they're good? No disrespect to Smooth no, and, no, no, and, 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 and these fellas, right? But I mean come on and, and Duvon yeah. and thing. But if if Panorama is a different kind of competition, then all well and good. Then we should have some more shows, if that's what you have to call it, as opposed to a competition that features original music arranged for an ensemble, to use the fancy term, yeah. and steel band side. As well as having what I call um not single pan, but you know, pan jazz with a lead pan, a lead a lead steel pan yeah. kind of performance. But it's part of the development of a, a music industry. To me it's part of the development of our, our what our way in the world. And um what you have done, as I said, I'm just to wrap up the podcast, I'll be coming to the close now. You went out to England. You were not the first to go to England, let's not pretend you were. But once you certainly establish yourself via the breakfast band and that young generation of musicians back in the 80s, and you had a career performing, touring, recording, and um, with individual records, records as well as with you know artists as big as, yeah. as um, Billy Ocean, among others, right? And even outside of England, in Claude Sommier in, in, um, in France. 
right? So I think there is a space for recognizing musicians of your ilk that I don't want to say at our peril that we have to we have to recognize them a lot more, right? I don't know if distance is a problem because you live in England and you're not living here, you're not revered as much, but I hope, I hope, I, well, I hope, I hope, I know, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, you push it, so listen, you know, whatever, 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 I just gotta go on my way. Yeah. Oh my God, who choose to and who don't choose to, you know. Yeah. I don't all, most of myself among people, you know. I hear, but all I can suggest to you is that all those demo tapes that you have, that you've had <laughs> for all the years, even if you have to record them live yeah, in a, yeah, in a yeah. session, because, I have a collection of, of jazz CDs and a lot of them are recorded at gigs. The, the, the engineer will come okay. and record these musicians performing mm-hmm. live and bam, they just package it, bam, record. Mm-hmm. So that there are opportunities to preserve your legacy and I think there are opportunities to build audiences. Yes. Certainly here in Trinidad and Tobago. Right? So all I can say is I hope uh, you don't stop recording. No, I have the material put on them and I have to get it out. I yeah, I hope... You don't lose it because as I don't, <laughs> don't, don't well, lose I, it. I rest well, it somewhere. I can't find it. But we didn't touch on all the arranging thing, but you know, mm. well, we I'm not talk about that. But anyway, we <laughs> trust me. This is not the this this will not be the last time we talk about this. We'll definitely yeah. get back into the idea of what arranging mm. for steel band is. As well as what the work have, you have done, I mean, as you say, yeah, you, you work with well, the brother resistance and things. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, I think we only touch on other piece of things. Yeah, but you know. Whenever again, you know, just give me a shout. You know, we'll uh, do that. I will uh, do that. I will do that. It's always, it's always a pleasure to talk to musicians. And as I said, one of the things that we don't get in Trinidad is to hear them talking about themselves. So mm, true, true, true. So true. I, I want, I want to thank you for this. Come on, yeah, and and we will be back. Trust me on this one, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Because we didn't really. I mean, it's about we're talking about some plenty years that we touch on everything. I know it's hard to put everything in like that. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably ten o'clock or nine o'clock in London, right? But trust me, we'll we'll we'll, we'll have a part three of this, right? Yeah, okay, I look forward to that. We'll have a part three of this, so we could actually we'll have a part three, flesh yeah. out the idea of what what the work of an arranger is okay. and what your 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 role is as a arranger yeah. to make the seed band the thing. We'll have a part three, <laughs> definitely, definitely. All, right. All yeah, the best. It's been a pleasure, yeah. Thank yeah, you. and thank you very much for everything. Okay. All right, nice, man. All the best. All right, then. Bye, bye. Cool. Island Jazz Chat has been a production of Jazz in the Islands magazine, powered by iRadio.tt.